Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Man, we're grateful to have you join us um, in this Christmas season. Uh, We are going to be in the Gospel of John today. Actually, we're going to be in lots of places today. But I'll go ahead and invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We're going to be wrapping up our Advent series. We have uh, been looking at the first time Jesus, God the Son, um, came, became a man, dwelt among us. Um, we've been kind of looking at this event through the lenses of various people who were integral in making this event happen. Uh, we looked at um, Elizabeth and the uh, birth of John the Baptist. We looked at um, Joseph and Mary, of course. We looked at Herod and the wise men. Uh, just some of these key perspectives of people that were involved. Well, here this morning, I want to give like uh, the behind the scenes, so to speak, kind of what's happening and had happened up until that point in the background um, in, with the, the advent. It's sort of the look at like the cosmic perspective, if you will. In it, in this perspective we're going to be looking at today, we're not looking at the perspective of, you know, John the Baptist or Mary and Joseph or Herod and the wise men, but we're getting um, kind of close, as close to we can get as God's perspective. What was God doing um, during this time? So he's giving us the closest thing that we can get to that today. And let's start by reading uh, the first nine verses of John, um, I normally don't ask you to do it, but can we, can we stand to read, John? Um, let's stand and read the Word of God as it is. The first uh, nine verses of the Gospel of John. Said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Thank you. You can be seated. And again, our Advent series has been titled, The Light Has Dawned. And um, that's what we're seeing this morning. The true light, which gives light to, to everyone, was coming into the world that he, the light, the Word of God, the Messiah, had made. Now, if you're familiar with this section of the Bible, you may be in danger of missing some of the really astounding things that are being described here and what John is saying. It's saying that there's great news. The light has already dawned. The light has come into this dark world that we live in. Now, that's actually great news. That's worth the price of admission that you paid to be here today, right? Like That is really good news. You know, the world seems to be getting progressively darker and darker and darker if we look around and, and watch the news. Um, but the light has already dawned. That's great news. 
That's a great thing to get a hold of. And if you get a hold of it, it can allow you to walk through this world, through this life, in a very different way than you could otherwise. And I don't want to get um, like too excited or whatever, but that we, we could start and end our message. Some of you wish, yeah, that'd be a great end to the message. Let's go eat. Uh, with a hallelujah about the light having already dawned. It can look bleak and terrible, but the truth is the light has come into the world. And we'll be looking at more of that today. But again, if you're familiar with the biblical uh, history, you know that God did not reveal himself, did not turn on the light instantaneously. It actually happened very slowly. When the time was right and what the Bible calls the fullness of time, God revealed himself. God revealed himself in time over time, right? In time and space on this earth over time. It's as if God knew that we... We couldn't handle it if the light were turned on all, all at once. It's like if you're asleep in a dark room, right? Somebody doesn't know you're sleeping. Maybe they do know you're sleeping in there. And they come in and flip the light on. You're like, ugh, right? You don't, you don't embrace that light, do you? You, you, run, you run from it. You recoil from that light. Well, in hopes that we can further appreciate what God has done here and, and in special hopes that we can embrace Jesus, the light of the world this morning, I want us to look at history and see how God in history slowly revealed himself, slowly turned on the light so that we might live. And we're going to be covering a ton of Scripture today. Normally, you know, we like to, to get in a passage and work verse by verse, you know. That's, that's our steady diet of the Word of God. Today's going to be a little bit different where I want to tie together lots of threads to kind of show you what was happening behind the scenes and what led up to what we just read in John chapter 1 and what we will read in John chapter 1 here in just a little bit. It's one of the reasons on your weekly, if you're a note taker and you like to fill in the blanks, I apologize, not a lot of blanks to fill in today. There's lots of space to take notes. That's why is because we're be, we'll be covering lots of scripture. And I love it. I love to hear the Bible pages turning. You may not be able to, to do that today. I'll try to give you a heads up where we're going, uh, but it'll be a lot of Bible gymnastics if you're going to try to do that. Uh, but it will be up on the the screen for you. And I want us to begin by looking at God in the wilderness. You can go ahead and turn your Bible to the book of Exodus, and we'll get there in just a second. God in the wilderness. Now, previously, prior to this passage that we're going to read, God had already revealed himself to a man named Abraham. He had called Abraham out of, uh, from among the nations uh, to be a people for God's choosing. And then God revealed himself after that to a man named Moses delivering God's people from bondage. And then at one time in the wilderness, about two, some, some people estimate about two million men, women, and children actually heard the audible voice of God for the first time. And these children of Israel were in the wilderness. They had made an exodus from Egypt, and they heard the voice of God. And after they heard the voice of God, they asked Moses, please... Don't let God speak to us anymore. Isn't that incredible? And the reason they thought that is because they were afraid of God. They were like, man, if he keeps talking to us, we're going to die. So Moses, please go talk to God for us and then come back and tell us what God says. We could pick up in Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 to 21. It says, now when all the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. 
the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Could you imagine being there at that time and not being able to bear even the greatness of the, just the voice of God? And here he's, he's shrouded in darkness and lightning and smoke and earthquake and trembling and the light has not dawned yet, has it? Like the people are afraid of God. And this was an, an event that they would pass down from generation to generation. Do you remember when God spoke to us on the mountain? God is fearsome and, and dreadful. And um, this invis- invisible being spoke to us. And he actually revealed himself physically to Moses in a physical manifestation. God, to these people, again, would seem scary. He's, he's shrouded in, in darkness, unapproachable, unknowable. So the revelation of God, God's revealing himself, turning the light on would be dim, if anything, right now. It would be murky. And we see several hints of who would we, we would come to ultimately know in the advent as Jesus. God began at this point to, to then reveal his son, and he gave hints of the son to come. We're going to be in the book of Joshua now. We're moving forward in time, forward in history. Um, Later in the Old Testament, after this time with Moses, we see what many scholars believe, and I agree, God the Son, the third person of the Trinity, manifesting himself at other times as well in the form of a man, as he did with Abraham. And we could walk through lots of those in the Old Testament, and you could do that at some point. I'd actually encourage it. But let's look at a particular uh, instance where this happened, uh, I believe, and um, for the sake of time, but I, also because it shows us something specific about the light. This light that we're looking at in the Advent season, the light has dawned. Well, what is it? What is the light? Look at Joshua chapter 5. It says, when Joshua was about to go into battle, here's what happened. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him, with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. This sounds a lot like uh, Moses with a burning bush, doesn't it? And Joshua did so. Uh, You better believe he did, right? You better believe he did. Here, the light is revealing something about himself. If you're a note taker, you can write this down. The light, God is a warrior. God is a warrior. Whether you see this as the pre-incarnate son or whether this is merely the, um, the commander of the Lord's army, some type of angel, either way, it's depicting God is a warrior. God is a warrior. And then we read some incredible things in the Psalms. You can move forward in the Psalms with us here. 
This makes the light even more clear. Psalm 45, verses 6 through 7 say, Your throne, O God, I just want you to slow down and listen to this. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, or therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Now, Bible scholars recognize this is David praying to God, yet it refers to God anointing God. And the New Testament book of Hebrews quotes this very passage, if you want to cross-reference it, in reference to Jesus himself. The light is not only a warrior, he's a king. His kingdom has no end. He's not only a king, he's an anointed king. That's what Messiah means. He's the anointed one. And he is altogether righteous. There is no evil in him. He is the source of all things righteous. Then in Psalm 110, it says, The Lord, that's Yahweh, the Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, David, the person writing this, is the greatest king Israel has ever known. And yet, he has a Lord, the Lord God. And here it is Yahweh who says to David's Lord, come share my glory. Well, can we do some math? Who does God share God's glory with? Who sits at the right hand of God? No one but God. No one but God. Do the math. Again, this is echoing. He was in the beginning with God and he was God. Do you see this taking place? The light is being turned on. It was dim and murky and scary. But now God is revealing himself, his character. He's revealing Jesus' position. He's the king. He's the anointed Messiah. He is altogether righteous. And then we read in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. You don't have to turn there, but Jesus quoted this psalm in reference to himself. He pointed out that David was quoting God the Father as telling Jesus to sit at his right hand. David knew that the coming Messiah would not only be anointed, but he would actually be God as well. So what have we learned about the light so far? He's the Messiah. He's God. He's a king. He's a warrior. He's not only a warrior and a king, he's a conquering warrior and a king. He does not lose battles. His enemies will be placed at his feet. So I, I want to read those things just in case we miss what's going on at Advent. When the children rightly sing, little baby, in a manger, this is who we're talking about. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God in the flesh, the anointed one, the righteous one, the perfect one, the conquering warrior is in the manger. And then in Isaiah 53, we see the light be turned on even brighter. In Isaiah 53, I don't know if you, how many, how many of you have read Isaiah 53 before? Very few. This is interesting. 
If we were in a Jewish community, it would be even less, even though this is in the Old Testament. And they memorize books of the Torah, right? They memorize the Old Testament. Yet Isaiah 53 is considered kind of a forbidden chapter. The reason is, it's because it turns the light on. It reveals the Messiah, not, not, not just his position and his character, but it even demonstrates for us what his ministry was going to look like. This was written 800 years before Jesus. It reveals what Jesus' ministry would look like. He would not only be God in the flesh, the warrior, the conquering king, but he would also be a suffering servant who would give his very life to save us. I want us to, again, listen to the words of Isaiah. We're going to actually read the whole chapter today. All right, so follow along in your Word of God, your copy of the Word of God, or you could follow along in the, on the screen. But the reason I wanted to read this is because I personally don't understand how you could read this Old Testament passage written 800 years before Jesus and not say, man, that's Jesus. The light, hopefully this morning, if you've never read this passage, as I saw many of you haven't, will turn on for you today. Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession 
for the transgressors. You let that sink in. This this, uh, description of Jesus actually starts back in the second half of chapter 52. I would encourage you to go home and read that. It's amazing. Uh, Now let's love and pray for our Hebrew friends that the light would turn on for them, that they would see the Messiah has made sacrifice for their sins. But maybe you in here today or watching online need to realize that this was prophesied again 800 years before Jesus, describing in detail what his ministry would look like, what he came to do. And notice it's, it's in the past tense. It was a done deal, what he would accomplish. Payment for our sins. This is what Advent was about. This is why Jesus came. Right. This is behind the scenes. This is what God was doing. Right. I don't know if Elizabeth, Zechariah got that. The Herod certainly did not get that, or maybe he did. That's why he tried to snuff him out. But this is what God was doing. God was setting forth his plan to save us. It's amazing. (laughs) Jesus has always been there if you're willing to see him. Uh, This moves us to further revelation, the light turning on in the person of Jesus. Now we see God in the flesh, the light, kind of on the ground, in the, the dusty streets of Palestine. The disciples of Jesus had no doubt that Jesus was a man, did they? They had seen Jesus be hungry. They had seen Jesus be tired and need, need to rest. He became weary from dealing with the crowds. He retreated to be with the Father, that sort of thing. He was tempted in every way like they were, yet without sin. In fact, Jesus grew up in relative anonymity, did he not? And soon, everybody around him would realize, though, that Jesus was much more than a man. This is much more than a baby that was in the manger. Again, if you're a note taker, these won't come up on the screen, but you can write these down quickly. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus excluded himself when giving the model prayer because he didn't have any sins to ask forgiveness for. This was the same to be true at Jesus' baptism. Normally, when they would come up out of the water, they would confess their sins. Jesus came straight up out of the water. No confession necessary. Mark chapter 2, verse 10, Jesus claimed to have the authority to forgive others' sins. Not only did he have no sin, he forgave the sins of others. Matthew chapter 8, Jesus spoke to a storm with the authority of its creator and made it be still. In John chapter 5, Jesus addressed Yahweh. This fearful and distant God in the Old Testament, remember, cloaked in darkness, lightning, thunder, smoke. People don't want to hear from God. They're afraid they might die if they do. In John chapter 5, Jesus calls him Father. He claimed in Luke 24 the many prophecies from the Torah. The the prophets in the Old Testament and the Psalms were fulfilled in him. And again, at Jesus' baptism, this same God who spoke audibly in the Old Testament made the people think they were going to die. This same voice spoke again, not on Mount Sinai this time, but at Jesus' baptism. He says, this is my son. Do you see God turning the light on? God's turning the light on. And then Jesus raised people from the dead. And not only did he raise people from the dead, he raised himself from the dead. John chapter 10 says it this way. 
This is the words of Jesus. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Now, I told you Jesus had raised people from the dead prior to this, but this is a stark contrast to Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, isn't it? The stone was rolled away uh, at Jesus' tomb not to let Jesus out, but to let other people in, to see that he had been risen. Lazarus came out bound in his grave clothes. Jesus' head scarf was folded, laid neatly to the side. Lazarus rose as an ordinary man. He would die again. An ordinary man. Jesus arose in a form of man that the world had never seen, but that the world will see later because we will all be made new. So now, at Jesus' resurrection, the light had been fully revealed. The light had fully dawned. Jesus, God the Son, in the flesh, had been fully revealed. That's why we read in John chapter 1, the light had already come into the world. It's an amazing news. So let's pick back up in John chapter 1. We'll start again at verse 9, and we'll read through verse 14. The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Get this, look at verse 12. Be careful with me, watch. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the mission that Christmas was and still is about. Don't miss the point. You can receive God. That's an audacious statement, isn't it? You can receive God. And by that, I mean you can have the God who made heaven and earth as your Savior and your Lord. And then amazingly, Jesus calls you his friend in that scenario. Listen, if you grew up in church or maybe you've been sitting in reach life for a while, that may go right over your head. They may be like, ho-hum, so what? I could be made right with God. Listen to that sentence. (laughs) Ho-hum, I could be made right with God? How many of you besides me, you don't have to raise your hand, ever feel the weight of your sin? I certainly do. And the news that I could be made right with God is incredible to me. It's incredible to me. The light has not only dawned in the world, it's dawned in my heart. It's dawned in my soul. Jesus has turned to this dark place. He switched the light on. He made me alive. He's made me new. If you've never experienced that, can we talk? I want you to experience that. God wants you to experience that. This is is incredible. But I I want you to show 
I want to show you what this entails. To receive Jesus. What, what, what does that entail? Um, to do that, I want us to, to, to back out and look at, again at the broader picture. We saw Jesus at creation, John chapter 1. We saw him in the Old Testament. We saw him walk the earth in the New Testament. And now I want to briefly bookend things by looking at the end of the Scriptures. Revelation chapter 19. You can turn there if you want to. Here at the end of the Bible, we see a revelation of Jesus, the light, as we have never seen him before. Revelation chapter 19, 11 to 16, say this. Then I saw heaven opened. This is John who wrote the Gospel of John, same guy. Then I saw the heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and make, makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and, his head, and on his head are many diadems. Those are crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. For his mouth, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with the rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Church family, friends, that's who Jesus is. King of kings, Lord of lords. I don't know if you've ever read the accounts of Christmas alongside the end of the book to reveal who it was laying in the manger. But this is Jesus remembering the first advent. In fact, should put us in mind that there's going to be a second one. He's returning, and when he does, it's going to look like what we just read in Revelation. That's how the Bible ends. In fact, the Bible ends with the very words, yes, he's returning soon. Even quickly, come Lord Jesus. Right? And those who receive him now, I'm telling you, before he returns, to those who are willing to see, he, the King of kings and Lord of lords, John told us, gives the right to become children of God. So I asked a question, what does it mean to receive Jesus? Finally, you get to fill in some blanks on your outline. To receive Jesus means to surrender all that you are to all that he is. That's what it means to receive Jesus. He is the creator God. John told us back in verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him, there wouldn't be anything, right? Without him was not anything made that was made. He is the very source of life, John told us. He is the one who overcomes the darkness. Listen, we started out talking about this world seems to be getting morally darker and darker with, with each passing year. Yet Jesus, the true light... We're not the light. There is a true light. His name is Jesus. There is no other true light 
other than Jesus, not the light of your own conscience, not the light of any lodge you could belong to, not the light of collective humanity, not the supposed light of the universe or anything like that. No, Jesus is the light. In fact, those other things are actually part of the darkness. But John tells us Jesus overcomes the darkness. You may be having a dark Christmas season. Is Jesus Lord? Then he's overcome your darkness. I would encourage you to turn to him because it says there in the book of Revelation that Jesus is faithful and true. Isn't that what we're all looking for, really, the truth? I hope we are. I hope if we're honest with ourselves, looking at the, the, the word of God as like a mirror to our souls, I hope we want the truth. Well, if you are looking for the truth, his name is Jesus. And he wants you to know him. He is the creator and source of life. He is the suffering servant who gave his life for you. He is the true and rightful king of heaven and earth who will one day return just as he promised. And he is faithful and true. Faithful and true to what? Well, by his Holy Spirit, he's always with you. He's faithful and true to work all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. He never leaves. He never forsakes. He alone is truly and ultimately faithful. Who would not bow before such a king? That's a question for us to ask our hearts today. There's a a story I read in sermon prep that I I think applies here. It said that Queen Victoria, the mother of the recently passed Queen Elizabeth, she once uh, wanted to hear a performance of Handel's Messiah. And she went to the performance and it was agreed ahead of time that because she was queen and because it was so hard for her to like stand up and get down and kneel and do all the things in her regalia that... um, she didn't need to honor the custom of standing and singing of the Hallelujah Chorus that's part of Handel's Messiah. But the account went that even as the great chorus began to swell, right? For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, King of kings, Lord of lords. It said that she was so overwhelmed that she not only in her regalia stood, but that she took off her crown and laid it down as if to honor Jesus as the only faithful and true, the only rightful king. This was the same king to whom Mary and Joseph bowed and submitted to, the one whom the angels sang to the shepherds about, the one whom the wise men came to worship. And so today we've seen the light dawn in the world that he has made. But the question is, is will you humble yourself before him And receive him. Remember, surrender all that you are to all that he is. So the question at the bottom of your weekly there, will I receive Jesus? And again, that means to surrender all that you are to all that he is. Listen, it may be that in your life, maybe tacitly in the background, um, you would never say this out loud. Maybe it's never dawned on you that, that you might do this. But there, maybe in your life, there are times, or that's the case in general, you really, if you're honest, would see yourself as, you, as your own king. Jesus, I know you said this. In the, if you're a Christian, Jesus, I know you said this in the Bible. 
but I want to do this. <laughs> or I know you, you, this is what you prescribe for me, this is what you want me to do, but I don't want to do that. And so I'm not going to do that. Um, and I would ask you this morning, will you worship him anew? Will you surrender all that you are to all that he is? That's why he came, to set you free from yourself. Will we give him his rightful place, acknowledge his rightful place in our lives? Will we, you and I put myself in that, will we surrender everything that we are to the rightful king of us? So I'd encourage you to fill in the blank that's beside that sentence. It says, will I receive Jesus? Maybe you don't want to write it down because your neighbor's there or whatever, but I want you to look at your, that line, that blank line on your weekly in your heart, in a moment of honesty before God, will I receive Jesus? I pray that you write yes. I pray that in, the, in your heart, in your mind, your soul, before God, you recognize. I, I read all these things about Jesus from the Old to the New Testament. He alone is God. He alone is faithful and true. He's the true king. And you know what? If I'm honest, I don't deserve to be king. Jesus deserves to be my king. And the amazing thing is that that's where freedom is. That's where freedom is. And if we surrender to him, the faithful and true, John says, for those of us who believe in his name, he will give the right to become children of God, born again, made spiritually new, not by blood or the will of the flesh, but by the will of God. That's my prayer for you this Christmas. Have things gotten stale for you? in your relationship with the Lord. I hope today that maybe the Word of God, as we kind of skipped a stone through those things and saw an overview, and we could, we could actually spend weeks on that. Um, I hope maybe you gained a new, fresh appreciation for what this baby in a manger, what our, our, our children were, were singing about, and I hope you've seen a fresh. This is an amazing thing. God, the Creator, entered the world to set us free. That's our, my prayer for you today.